0: It is really wonderful to see you all, see so many of you. Um, welcome to 2024. And uh, yes, it's going to be an awesome year. And uh, we, every year at the beginning of the year, we always set out stall for the year and think about the year as we do. And we wanted this year, we always start each year with a vision series, just focusing on one particular aspect what God has called us to do and what the church is. And so, um, this year we're gonna spend the first month thinking about talking about the local church, the beautiful, amazing, magnificent thing that is the local church. And I wanna encourage you, uh, I wanna just say this as a sort of setting out of my own stall, I've been in three local churches in my life um, as an adult. As a student, I was in one church uh, in Durban uh, when I met Helen, and it was I was in another church, and now I'm in this church, and I've been a part of this church for the last 24 years. And I only can say that the local church has been an absolute awesome blessing in my life in every way. It is magnificent. There is nothing like the local church. So that's my baseline from what, I'm, what I want to speak this morning, and the comments that I'm going to make, and make five comments about how we love the local church. This is not out of anger this is not out of unhappiness i love every one of you i love this church i'm so deeply happy right now in terms of how this church is and what it how it's going so none of my comments are coming from that place all right i really trust that that they will encourage you deeply as we look to the local church as god's blessing to the world so i've been leading like i said now for 24 years here and i've been leading over 30 years in the church um, and I want to also just say this by introduction when I say the church, um, I want us to make it personal I'm not talking about the church out there often We deflect don't we about when we say things we say oh the church should do this like there's this Entity out there somewhere. That is the church now actually this is the church Every one of us and so when we speak about the church, we're actually speaking about us ourselves we're speaking about this local expression of church that God has planted here, this family. And so my comments this morning are directed to us. I'm not talking about anyone else out there. I'm talking about us here as brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? So I just wanna say that as well. And um, I've seen many glorious things over the years in, in the local church. I've seen uh, met the most spectacular people, the most godly people, the most generous people. And at the same time, I've also experienced the most unpleasant behavior that I have experienced in my life in the local church. Isn't that a funny thing? The most unkind, unhelpful, selfish, self-centered behavior also in the local church. Um, I've seen church leaders rise and church leaders fall. I've seen churches planted and grow spectacularly quickly and then implode spectacularly quickly. Uh, I've seen all sorts of things. I've seen scandals. I've seen... Good things, I've seen movements come, movements go. But all I want to say to you, I was reflecting with a friend of mine who I've known for 40 years. We were talking about our experience of church. And all I can say to you is that when I was 12 years old, Jesus reached into my life. And he changed me. And I've never, ever been the same since that day. And I've had ups, and I've had downs, And people have loved me, people have let me down, the church has been kind, the church has been unkind, but nothing changes that fact that Jesus put his hand into my life and changed me forever. And that changes everything. That changes how you see people, how you see his local church, regardless of what people have done to you in the church or haven't done to you in the church. That is the bedrock of my life. He is faithful. We sang about it this morning, amen? And so the vast majority of people that I've seen in the church over the years are faithful people serving God in unheralded ways in churches that you've never even heard of, faithfully loving their communities, and that's the vast majority of people that I know in the church. Isn't that glorious? And those kind of people, those kind of lives inspire me, encourage me, and want me to Uh, help me to carry on with what God has called me to do. So, at times, I do recognize the local church can seem a little bit strange. It can seem like a foreign entity in some ways, like a sporting event to a non-athlete or to a book club to someone who doesn't read books. Sometimes the church can feel a little bit like, like that. It can seem that people in the church make a big fuss about certain things that other people in culture see as completely insignificant, And we can sometimes feel like we're expending lots of time and lots of energy and work into something that seemingly produces small, insignificant things in people's lives. And week after week, all over the town, all over the country, seemingly unremarkable people are part of local congregations, and they come together week after week, and they're just more or less the same things in the same kind of way. And they love each other, and they pray for each other, and... They drink coffee together, and sometimes people think, well, why bother with any of this at all? What is the importance of the local church? And I want to put it to you that we have to start, as we address this question, by looking beyond ourselves to God, from which all things begin and end. And God has saved us, He's redeemed us, He's called us out of darkness into light, and we've all been transformed and are being transformed by the work of His Spirit. And that's why we love Him. That's why our love for Him grows year on year. The more we see what He's done in us and how He's transformed us, the more we want to say, God, thank you. I love you. You're so faithful. I'm not the man I once was. Yeah, and if, Mary, if, if Helen was to say, and to you exactly the same as the person I married 31 years ago, I would be deeply disappointed. Because hopefully I've changed. Even a little. Even a little is enough, because it means I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. Amen? And that's the journey of our lives. That's the destiny of our lives. And so I want to put it to you that we have to get back to asking what God loves and put our hearts behind what God loves. And the truth is that our first love was not towards God. None of us loved God. In fact, the Bible says, to begin with, we hated Him. We were enemies. This is the kind of language the Bible uses. We were its enemies, Romans 5. We were strangers to God, Ephesians 2. We were rebels. Yes? Everyone's a rebel in their hearts. Ezekiel says that. We hated God. Romans says that. It talks about Ephesians talks about impure people, disobedient people, hopeless people, Ephesians 2. Ignorant people, Romans 1, uh, Romans 10. That's what the Bible says all of us were. We were never looking for God, but... He was looking for us, and that's the good, that's the great news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, while we were still under His wrath and His anger, His kindness finds us, His love finds us, His grace finds us, and transforms us, and we were once dead, and now we are alive, and we once didn't know Him, and now we do, and that changes everything, and uh, if you're visiting, I uh, do speak loudly because I love what I'm speaking about. We were neither lovely nor loving, but he loved us. That is so wonderful. And in his wisdom, in the wisdom of eternity, God set his love, set his heart towards you and me, and he sent his beloved son, this is the, the gospel message, to die so that we could have relationship with him. And what we could not know before, we can know now because of Jesus. And we don't just know this distant entity that created the world. We know a personal Savior, a faithful Father, as we sang this morning, who walks through us day by day with us moment by moment and changes our lives and transforms us forever. That's who we serve. And He brought us out of slavery. We were not only dead, we were slaves to sin. We couldn't even help ourselves but sin because we were slaves. We were chained to sin. And He broke the chains. And he cast them off. And he set our hearts free. And now we are no longer slaves to, 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 to sin. We are slaves to love. We are chained to his love. We are born into his love. And his love pulses through our veins. And that changes how we live and what we do. And if that's why it says, the scripture says, love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with all your strength. Because that's what his love does for us. And as we begin to reflect that back, we love Him in the same way that He's loved us. I love the language of 2 Corinthians 5. We're looking at 1 Corinthians in the morning. 2 Corinthians says this, His love controls us. Isn't it good to be controlled by love? Not controlled by lust or any other thing, but controlled by love. It says also we are, His love compels us. You can't help but act in a certain way when you're motivated by the love of God because it's compelling you from the inside. You know it's the right thing to do, and so you do it. Not because you have to, but because you are compelled. There's something inside of you that is pushing you towards living a certain way and doing the right thing. It's the love of God. That's transforming your heart. It's transforming your mind, how you see yourself, how you see the world. He's our first love. He's the great love of our souls. And so it's it's appropriate that when we start thinking about the church, we say, well, what does God love? And for everyone who's ever sat in the chairs of a local congregation like this every Sunday morning, it might might surprise you to know that God loves the church. Deeply, immeasurably, the church is His idea. The church is His beloved. That's what the Bible says. 24 times in the New Testament, The church is called the beloved of God. The thing that his heart is set towards with all of his passion, his local church, you and me, together. God loves his church. His heart is set towards his church. He is passionately consumed by transforming every one of us that are part of his church to become more and more like Jesus and that we become like his son by the power of the Spirit inside us. Transforming us. Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this. Listen to the language. I love this. Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her, for you and me, that he might sanctify her, all of us, sanctify us, make us more and more like Jesus, having cleansed her, all of us, by the washing of his word, so that he might present the church, all of us, to himself with in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish, that she might be holy and pure. Come on. We don't have to worry about facial products, ladies. You are going to be blameless, spotless, without wrinkle on that final day. All of us. No wrinkles, no spots, no blemishes. Pure, as we are presented to Him, as the Holy Spirit transforms us. What a spectacular truth. Paul is speaking of here, the glorious purpose of God's eternal plan of redemption is to gather every single believer, his church, together and perfect us and make us more like Jesus and cleanse us and transform us and present us all to himself on that final day. Come on, let's get excited about that. That is what the church is. It's not the building. It's not the institution. It's not what the Bishop of Canterbury says It's about His people, all of us together, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, serving Him, loving Him, loving each other, helping each other become all that God wants us to be. That is the glorious bride. That is the church. That's what we're part of. Get excited about it this year. Amen? You know why I say get excited? Because sometimes people in the church are awkward. We are, we're all messy and awkward, and we're kind of a little bit, we're t- joking about different people, how they greet each other. Uh, sometimes we come from a South African family, and you hug each other. And boys after rugby matches, when they're greeting the parents of the, of the team, they hug the parents. It's just, that's what, the way it is, it's the culture. When you meet someone in England, you say hello, you avoid eye contact, you look to the ground, <laughs> You look to the ground and pretend that you, you, who's going to be the first one to look up and make contact? (laughs) Isn't it like this? And so there is something of the culture of the kingdom transforming us that actually we learn to love each other and greet each other with a holy kiss and hug each other and say, it's great to see you. Not leave wondering, did they even notice I was there? I snuck in, and now I'm sneaking out. No, let, let the church not be like that. Let the church be glorious and friendly. Why? Because we are the beloved of God. And there's nothing lovely about ourselves, but we are in Him who is lovely, and that makes every one of us lovely. The church is the beloved of God. Amen? Right, so, how then practically do we love the people that God has love, loves like that? Um, well, some scripture 1 John 4:11 says beloved John speaking again using this word beloved all of us the church if God loved us so we ought to love one another and so the heart of what I'm trying to say this morning is that the great love that God has for the church that we adopted and make it our own that it motivates us and when I'm saying the church I'm not speaking institution I'm not speaking cathedral those are all good things I'm speaking local church people That we make the love of God that He has for us, that's transformed us. That same love we have for each other, amen. That's what I'm speaking about. And so, how does that start? Well, it begins by us regularly rocking up on a Sunday to worship. Hebrews 24, chapter Hebrews 10:24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How do we do that? Well, it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There's this temptation to stop meeting together because we've done it for so long and you know there's so many other things I want to do on a Sunday and they're so cool and the church is a little bit awkward and a little bit funny and all those people I have to greet. And... Now, don't get out of the habit. Habits form who you are. Habits show what you really value. You have a habit of sport. You are going to make it a priority in your life to get up and exercise every day. If you have a ha- habit of drinking too much, it's going to produce something in your life which is unhelpful. It's a habit that's, that f- is a, like a flag of where your life is. Paul says, uh, the, writer, the writer of the Hebrews rather says, don't get out of the habit of meeting together. It's good for you to be with God's people. Amen? So let's encourage each other. And it says that's what we have to do, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds kindness, mercy, all those good things. And so it's the highest privilege that we have gather with each other before the face of God. And it's also our great privilege to spur each other on, to encourage each other's holiness, to show affection for one another, to bear one another's de- needs. I saw something on Instagram that made me so angry. There's this very cool-looking guy with, you know, one of these model kind of guys. And he's, the little quote is, if it's not your... If it's not your burden this year, don't carry it. In other words, live for yourself. Live for yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Look good. Exercise. Do your whole thing. Be the perfect Instagram person. And if it's, don't care for anyone else. There's no burden for you to carry anyone else's burden. Actually, exactly the opposite in the church. We are called to bear each other's burdens that when you feel pain, I feel pain, and we are in in it together. Sorry, no, I am very loud. That's what we're called to do, to bear each other's burdens, to love each other, to show deep affection, to encourage the gifts in the church, and to say, we miss your gift. Are you bringing your gift to this glorious thing that is the church so that the church can flourish and be all that God wants it to be? And when you're not contributing your gift, we are poorer. And yes, we have lots of people that do wonderful things, but the church is more glorious when everyone is contributing its gift. What is your gift? What has God given you? How can you use that this year? Come on. So, people in church are often outwardly unremarkable, but the mutual love of the local church, through that love, we affirm the love that God has for us. And Jesus, he said this, When he was um, about to go up to the Father, he prayed this in John 17. He said, Father, I pray that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What a beautiful thing to ask. And that's what we're waiting for. We are waiting as we wait for Jesus to come back, as he's transformed us, as we are surrounded by ordinary and yet extraordinary people, as we are surrounded by the sinful and yet the holy the weak and yet ultimately the triumphant people of God, we are waiting for that prayer to be fulfilled through us. The same love that God lavished on our lives, we lavish it on other people. Someone said to me once Oh, Aunt, hasn't the church hurt you? Haven't people hurt you? Absolutely. Many people have hurt me over the years, hurt our family, my wife. Does that put me off? No, can I tell you why? When I think about how much I have hurt God and I have hurt other people by my own foolishness, by my own sin, my own selfishness, I'm so grateful that God loved me at all. And who am I to withhold love from you? Who am I when he's been so generous to me? So I want to be generous to others and give another chance and say, yes, let's try again. And yes, you've hurt me, but I'm going to choose to forgive because Jesus has done the same for me. Amen. And so, how do we practically love? And again, I don't say these things with any accusation in my heart. First thing I want to say, we love the church with our hearts. That's really what it's about. You see, any love... That starts with what I feel, what I experience, and what I prefer, or what I like, or what I crave. Anything that starts from that place is not going to stand the test of time when hard times come. What true love is, is born in our hearts and motivated by the gospel. And all other loves won't serve us well as we seek to engage with the messy people that God puts into churches, all right? It has to start with His love. It has to start with His gospel. And the commitment to glorify God, regardless of the outcome, is the basis on which we have to stand up. If we don't do that, things will fall apart. And committed love is what Jesus showed through His life, even when it meant that He went to the Father. Uh, Sorry, when He went to the cross, because His Father willed Him to do that. It's easy to love people for the wrong reasons. It's easy to love people from what we can get from the relationship, what they can do for us. Much harder to love people, like Philippians says, consider other people more highly than yourself. Much harder to do that, isn't it? To consider others more highly than ourselves. And so I want to encourage us all at the beginning of this year that our love for others is rooted in Christ's love for us and the strength that he provides. And that's the only way to maintain our, our energy, our focus, as we are trying to do good to others who often are difficult so let me ask you all of us i'm asking myself i'm asking all of us here at forest town church are you aware of how much god loves you are you aware of how much god loves you and how are you imitating that love of god and passing it on to others and what responses about things that have happened in our church over the last few years, maybe positive or negative, it doesn't matter. What do those things reveal about your love for our church, for this church, for these people? And how do you perhaps need to change something of your affection, your heart towards God's people, His church? Secondly, we love God with our minds. We love Him with our hearts, we love Him with our minds. What I mean? Well, our thoughts, our minds reveal our hearts and our hearts determine our thoughts. In that way, all of us can go through some self-diagnosis. We can, uh, we can do this. If you're not quite sure how much you love God's people, His church, examine your thoughts or your mind about the church. What do you think about the church, about this local church? What do you think about this local church will reveal the depth of your love for His people? Why do I say that? Well, Luke said it quite plainly in Luke chapter. 6 verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that so true? While we deeply feel, we say, and we act on what we say. And so I want to put it to you, the best way to self-diagnose and reflect on your church thought life is to review your most recent thoughts connected to anything that disappointed you in any local church. And it's not good to fixate always on problems. It's not wise to over-fixate on church problems because that means we exacerbating the problem. A wise and humble person speaks about the issues of church while guarding their mind against negatively if, if being affected by those problems. And that's why I said to you, the overriding foundation of my life is the sovereignty of God and His kindness in my life. And I will never be moved from that bedrock. Regardless of what happens, In his church, because he is good. He is faithful. He's always been there for me, from age 12 to age 60. He's never changed. He's good. And that no one can take away from me, no matter how badly they might behave, or how well they might behave, or how beautiful they are. That's the bedrock. Paul said this. He said, when you have problems in your life, there's four reactions. Just if you remember one thing, remember this today. He said this. Bear all things. Secondly, believe all things. Thirdly, hope all things. Fourthly, endure all things. We're going to look at it, 1 Corinthians 13, when we get there. Amen? Bear all things. Believe all things. Hope all things. And endure all things. All things. So let me ask you again at the beginning of this year, kindly as I can, as Forest Town Church, what does thinking of the best about any church problem mean to you? Are there ways or times or areas when you have not thought the best about this local church? How could you change to have a more gracious and biblical thought response regarding our church? And I want to say this to you. This is a, uh, when I read this this week, it's like, oh, the dagger goes in, isn't it? Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the one who states his case first always seems right until another comes to examine him. Isn't that true? (laughs) We always think our perspective is the right one. I'm absolutely right about this, and why why don't people see from my perspective? And that often is the root of problems, isn't it? We can't see things from other people's perspective, and yet it says here, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes to examine him. And then suddenly we get a different perspective and think, oh yeah, maybe, maybe I'm not right about this. Maybe I need to change. We love God with our hearts. We love God with our minds. Thirdly, we love the church, rather, with our time. And I want to th- ask you to think back to when you fell in love with your, or if you're not yet, if you're not married, oh, sorry, it's the only example I could think of, but just think about the first time you fell in love. Right? that sort of maddening thing that happens and you can't you can't think straight and and it's like just this thing has happened and you don't know what's going on what is the first thing that happens when you fall in love with your time yeah and you want to be with that person don't you you'll do anything to be with that person you transform your your calendar just to be with that person because your affection, your heart is transformed and changed and you love them and you want to be with them and nothing else matters when you're in love. Isn't that true? It's just like this thing happens and, and you, you want to be with that person. Well, it's like that with so many things in life. What you love, you give your time to. You love sport, you're going to give your time to sport. You love your work, you're going to give time to your work. It's just a corollary. What you love, you do, with, you spend with your time. Your time, you spend on those things that you love. Love equals time and time equals love. And so distancing yourself from a local church while saying you love the church is antithetical. It's a, it's a concept that just doesn't make sense. I want to point you back to the love of Jesus again, the love of God. The, you know The most wonderful thing is that God loves us and he loves you so much with an everlasting love even though he's omniscient and he loves everyone, he loves you with the everlasting love. And he loves me with an everlasting love. And because he loves us like this, he wants to spend time with us. He can't help himself. He wants us to spend time with him, and he wants to spend time with us. And so I'm pointing you now to some things in the Bible. You can go look them up yourself. Abraham. What does God do with Abraham in the story of Genesis 2.15? Every day in the cool of the evening, he says... Abraham, I mean, Adam, what am I talking about? Adam, I don't want to be with you. Go and spend some time, alone time with yourself and get on with it. I've given you every perfect gift. Go and do your thing. No. Every day in the cool of the evening, it says God comes and he walks with Adam. And he says, I love you. I want to be with you. Amen? Amen. And what about some other Old Testaments? The, 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 uh, Exodus 25, verse 8, it says God designed a tabernacle, a place of meeting where he could be with his people. And they could be with him. And then he spent a, a, a new way, uh, 1 Chronicles 29, when Solomon builds the, the, the temple and the palace, it's so that God can be with his people. And Jesus, my favorite scripture I told you over, over Christmas, John 1:14. Yeah, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to be with us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted time with us. He dwelt with us. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. It comes from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God is always looking to spend time with you. In the cool of the day, in your everyday life, and with His people. God loves when we spend time with Him and when we, we spend time with each other. Even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the church is God's idea. It was birthed in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Even there, He comes and pours out His Spirit so He can dwell with us through the power of His Holy Spirit. That He can be with us. That we can know Him. It's beautiful. This is the church. I'm doing my best to encourage you this morning. Revelation 21.3. You're going to spend time with Him Forever. Come on. Worshiping him, being with him, telling him that you love him, and you love his people. Why do I say that? Because it says in, in Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the dwelling place of God is now amongst his people. It's the same language in eternity. And he will dwell with them. And now the most beautiful part, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. Come on. You're crying now. There'll be time will there be no more tears. No more pain. No more death. No more mourning for those that have passed on that you love. None of that. Only in eternity, worshiping him together with all of his people. What a glorious, wonderful thing. And then this wonderful verse says, and he was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. New heavens, new earth, new relationships, new everything. Everything that's tainted and distorted and fallen, restored to perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. And you and I get to rule and reign with, with him. Amen. It's not floating on a cloud somewhere. Singing songs, it's ruling and reigning in the universe with the great king, all of us that love him in a new heaven and a new earth. What a glorious, amazing, Thought And the urging of God is that we imitate him in that kind of love, the kind of love that he has for us and for his people, he, he wants us to reflect that out and to show that to other people. So I want to ask you again, do you love his church? Do you love our local church? Do you love the people? And what does that loving our local church look like You, for you from your time, with your time? How are your gifts and your time intersecting with our church family? How does the church show up in your weekly calendar? And uh, when I say that question, I'm not asking, I'm not speaking about attending events. I'm not speaking about doing busy things. I'm not speaking about allowing the church to become something that dominates your life. I'm not speaking about that. When I say, how does the church intersect with your calendar? This is what I'm speaking about. How much do you pray for people in our church? Or give regularly to help the thing go forward? Or To email someone or text someone to say, I've been thinking of you. You've been on my heart. I just want to say I love you. Or do things outside of this building that are not centered on this building, but are an expression of his love for his church. That's why we say, eat together often. How hard is that? It's such a pleasure to eat, isn't it? Just eat together in each other's homes. Invite invite people for whatever your favorite thing is. Not just on a Sunday, but during the week. Just hang out with people. Love them. Be part of a small group. Pray together. Break bread often. Yes? This is love. It's very practical. It's very obvious, isn't it? Obviously, that's what Libra said. We were watching the movie last night. Sorry, I I always just get a natural Libra quote in. It's obvious. Isn't it obvious? Yes, it is. And so it is that we're not talking about the building. The building is a building. The building, this is the tool for the task. The cathedral is the cathedral. It's a tool for the task. The church is the people. Come on. And so we love each other, and we show affection, and we're not embarrassed to say, I love you. We say, I love you. I love you. Johnny. Thank you, (laughs) Clive. We love God in this very practical way. We love Him with our time. Four. I'm nearly finished. Point number four. We love each other with our hands. We love the church with our hands. And many years ago, we um, studied the book of James in this church which transformed my life as, as I was preaching it and it transformed our church. We'd gone through a really, really hard time and it saved us, that preaching series. In the James, book of James, James encourages all of us as believers and he says this, be a doer of the word rather than a hearer only. Do you remember that for those of you that were around? James 1, 22. And a loving Christian is a doing Christian. A gospelized person is someone who gives himself away in love to other people. Simply put, faith without works is dead, says uh, says James. It doesn't mean that your works save you. They don't save you at all. But they do point to the reality of your faith that your life is being transformed and your behavior is changing. Because something has changed on the inside of you. Amen? And so that's what James says. Faith without works is dead. And so he uses the example in chapter 2 and he says... It quotes and says, um, if you say, be warmed and filled, speaking to um, someone who's homeless uh, and, li- and then lifting up your hands on the Sunday, there's something that's wrong in that picture because that's not what Jesus modeled. And Peter, remember we, we studied Peter a little while ago, 1 Peter, he says this in f- chapter 4, verse 8, to remind you of, of it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, let it be as to the one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who's serving by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the church. Come on now. So let me ask you again. How are your gifts being used? What context are you creating within your own life, your own sphere of influence, to exercise the gifts that God has given you? And in what ways do you see and encourage others in the gifts that God has given to them? And what ways are you equipping other people so that their gifts can be used? Titus 2, verse 3. Amen. We love God with our hands. It's very practical. And lastly, we love God. We love the church the local church with our mouths with what we say. To love the church is to speak well of the church. 1 John 4. And Paul asked that we use our mouths to build each other up rather than to tear each other down. Yeah? Your tongue can be like a hammer. Can crush someone. Or you can build them up. On how you use your tongue. How you speak. And for me I've tried to show you this morning, the local church is the part of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus loves, that God loves, that God birthed, that Jesus gave himself for, his life for, that the Spirit empowers. It's a beautiful thing the local church. And so to speak sinfully and critically about the church is to speak critically about Jesus. And I say that knowing all the confusion in the broader church in our nation right now, I understand that. I'm not ignorant to that. It's the most beautiful, the most expensive, the most valuable organization on the planet is the bride of Christ, the church made up of individuals like you and like me. And so when I say we don't speak critically, I'm not saying that we ignore real problems. You can address issues with discretion, you can be charitable in, the, in your spirit towards others that's full of compassion for something that is broken and needs to be fixed. So I'm not speaking about that. And I want to point you once again to Jesus. Because when Jesus prays for you and talks about you to his Father, and it says that Jesus is doing that right now. He's before the Father praying for us, every one of us. When he speaks to you uh, uh, to, to God about you, I'll use myself as an example. He says, when he speaks to God about and his heart is always towards me. His heart is always for me. And His heart is always for you, and His heart is always for those that you love. Jesus never sinfully critical about me to the Father, even when I mess up, even when I'm motivated by the the wrong things. His Spirit, when He prays for me in the Father's presence, is not one of criticism and judgment and bringing down. It's always to build up. Oh, God, my son, help him. He's so weak. Help him. Help him to be strong. Help his will where his will is floppy. Help him to speak kindly. Come on, Jesus, Father, help him. By the power of the Spirit. We've got to do the same for each other. Learn to do so. This is cultural in the most basic, basic way. And so, I'm saying, let us remember that God is always for us, even when we mess up. And so, when we are dealing with other people. Let us also be for them, even when there are problems, and so that we can be those that build each other up. And the speech way Jesus speaks is always in a redemptive way, always with a redemptive goal, always with a goal of winning back something that has been lost. So I want to ask you my final question, and then we're going to break bread together. What are your speech patterns like about our local church? Are they redemptive? When you think of something or hear of something negative about another person, is your default to believe the best or to think the worst? How are you at being quick to hear, slow to speak, because you want to be more measured in how you talk about God's people and in in the local church? James 1 verse 19. How do you confront gossip? Do you confront gossip? And if you're not confronting gossip, why not? (laughs) Why do we tolerate people speaking badly in the church about each other? It's so ugly. Let's not do that this year, right? I'm not saying it's been happening. I'm just saying, as we set stall for this year, as we aim at some things, let's aim at the right things together. Let's aim at loving the church with our hearts, with our minds, with our time, with our hands, with our mouths. Let's speak well of this beautiful, beautiful bride that is... His bride. Amen.